Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from my palatial Skype is the president of Trinket Studios, Tom Eastman. Tom, how are you? Hello. I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks. Uh, thank you for coming on. Tom and his team have been hard at work for the past several years on Battle Chef Brigade, an entirely new take on what a cooking game can be. It's set to release this winter for the Nintendo Switch and PC. But in the meantime, I'm grateful to have Tom here to answer a few questions about their influences, their studio, and the game itself. As a quick reminder, So Many Bits is brought to you in part by the Second Wind Collective. For more quality podcasts like this one, please visit secondwindcollective.com for details. And I do just want to thank you again, Tom. I know that at this point, you're probably uh, really getting down to it in terms of like finishing stuff up. So I appreciate your time. Oh, no problem. This is actually really nice. It's a forced break. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, then let's get right into it. Uh, I've done a little bit of reading online. Thankfully, uh, Trinket has a very handy uh, website where they talk about you and your uh, teammates. But I, I was curious to hear just straight from you, uh, like what kind of games were you into growing up uh, and how they influenced your growth as a creator? So I was fairly standard, I think. Um Blizzard plus Halo, I think, is probably the best way to put it. I grew up on Pokemon first, but then got into PC games, starting with Warcraft 2, and then just basically progressed from there through StarCraft and Diablo. Um, And I wasn't allowed, my brother and I weren't allowed to have a consoles, but we were allowed to eventually have a Game Boy on which we played Pokemon and a few other horrible Game Boy games looking back. I, I don't know how much they influenced me now. <laughs> we've sort of, Trinket in particular, I think we've sort of uh, been motivated by character design f- as one of our key pillars because Eric, the art director and creative director really, is so really, really good at character design. And so a lot of our games have started from some weird idea and then we view it as a challenge to make a game around that and figure out the design around that. Some of our mobile games are just sort of out of left field, and so is Battleship Brigade. We we weren't making traditional genres, so I think a lot of my influences, a lot of the games I grew up playing haven't been that useful nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did at one point uh, Battleship Brigade, I'm sure we'll talk about the endless prototyping we did for it, but at one point we I was strongly referencing StarCraft um, to try to figure out how to make a uh, kitchen with many chefs work as a game and it was sort of an rts style prototype for battleship brigade it turned out that that was not very fun and we couldn't figure it out so that was probably the only time that starcraft came up i guess diablo has influenced battleship brigade a little bit in terms of items but we only have like 50 items whereas diablo was sort of generated and massive numbers of items so on the whole we've sort of made it a thing to not really draw on influences very strongly to try to make our own path and then realize that we had made something similar and sometimes we had learned the right lessons and followed the path of other people and sometimes we made something totally wacky and maybe it works. (laughs) I I can see some of that in the history of the games that you worked on with uh, previously with wide load games and then moving on to Trinket, like there's, they're all pretty far off the path. Like even prior to when you started with Wide Load, they were working on uh, games like Stubbs the Zombie and Hail to the Chimp. And I, I felt like, especially with Stubbs, which I, I had a chance to play a long time ago, that was pretty different from anything else I tried at the time. You know, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about how 
wide loads creative process probably influenced us because wide load as you're saying is was a very off-the-wall studio and when we would have brainstorm discussions or discuss new ideas for the next game there were never any limits to that (laughs) (laughs) wide load was never really pinned down as a studio um that sort of floundered and got worse and worse under disney when after disney acquired wide load but and that's part of why we left but when wide load was wide load it really had no strong studio identity for better or for worse I certainly thought that was great because, like I was saying, brainstorms could just be entirely free. And there always seemed like there was a possibility of making a really crazy game. Well, let's get into that uh, time period a little bit because that while you were working at Wideload is where you met uh, Eric and Ben, the other two founders of Trinket, right? Yep, absolutely. At first, um, I interned at Wideload. They had a they had basically two teams, a larger console team and a smaller team that was sort of making mobile downloadable games. Um, and I interned on the smaller team and Ben was working at that time on a larger team. So I didn't really get to know Ben. Um, and then I joined Wildlife full-time the next year and I got to meet Eric then, um, and we hung out a lot. And then eventually after Disney acquisition, after endless prototypes and after the teams were merged together, um, Ben and I were two of the core programmers on infinity wait no that's not what it's called that was what it's cloned um (laughs) marvel avengers initiative hulk so that was sort of a let's not say clone but homage to infinity blade using marvel characters for the ipad and iphone original content do not steal (laughs) uh so ben and i sort of split the core systems in that game uh and that meant that we worked really closely together and realized that that was a excellent uh, opportunity to get to know each other and then uh, work on something in the future, perhaps. Ooh. <laughs> I, you know, I was looking for that. I, I wanted to try uh, the mobile games that you guys had worked on. I, I had a lot of trouble finding uh, the Avengers game on the iStore I or the App Store. Yeah, I think for whatever reason. So Disney, if you look at their history, isn't so great at running their video game businesses. Um, and, and obviously they shut down wide load a few years ago after releasing that. And I think that for whatever reason, they weren't able to continue supporting it and they just had to pull it from stores. That's too bad. So. That's too bad. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I think about that a little bit as like a, a retro gaming fan is like the preservation of these mobile games, like that are tied to like an iOS version that was four iterations ago and like how are we gonna play those in like 20 years yeah we we already ran into that as trinket um orion's forge our second mobile game did not make nearly as much money as color sheep and so when the it was one of the ios releases demanded some feature that we we really just needed to like recompile the game but we decided it wasn't really worth it and just pulled it from the store um or Apple pulled it from the store for us, but it was for that that very reason. And it is quite sad. (laughs) At least on Android, things will run forever, even if they're a little wonky. Now, speaking of Orion's Forge and Color Sheep, I was looking at the release dates on those games, and they came out within a very short time frame of each other. Uh, What was the decision process behind that, of releasing two games simultaneously as, as, I guess, your first uh, offerings from Trinket? So the main driver was that we had felt so creatively stifled under Disney that 
we really wanted to just make a whole bunch of games at once. And our original plan was to make three games, three mobile games, uh, basically at two months each. And we got close to that. The third mobile game was codenamed Accidents, and it was indeed an accident. We could never figure <laughs> out the design. The design just never made it. It wasn't very fun. It was The brief pitch was that you were a superhero. You had this little diorama, like, say, a city street. And a whole bunch of different people were going to get into horrible accidents. They'd step in some dog poop. They'd get electrocuted. A piano would fall on them. One would get run over. And it was all sort of cartoony fun. And then your job as a superhero was to figure out puzzle style how to save everyone using your limited number of powers. Unfortunately, it felt like the game started fun and funny as you saw these horrible things happen to people. And then as you solved it, it became boring. And it was really hard to make puzzles we're just not really great designers, so um, figuring out how to make a puzzle that's not straightforward is pretty hard. So if you have a limited number of powers and there's fairly obvious ways to save everyone, then it's really hard to ramp that up into really clever, fun puzzles. So we canned that one after a few weeks. But Orion's Forge and Color Sheet, we would do two weeks on each one and then switch to the other. And in total, they each took about two months before they released but uh, we sort of spread it out over four months. And that was extremely fun. They're very, very small games. And I'm very proud that we were able to make uh, such good games in a short amount of time because Battleship Brigade has taken so long. Having two weeks on and then two weeks off was really nice for letting things percolate and letting uh, we'd, we'd bring in some play testers on the off week so we could figure out what to do the next two weeks. Um, and that ended up being really freeing. We were able to tackle a whole bunch of different things, build up our sort of tech framework within, for each one. And that, that was just like a great period and felt really creatively fulfilling. And unfortunately, we ramped up directly to a four-year project after <laughs> that. But that, I'm glad that you uh, were able to find that period of your development so fulfilling that after working... I, I was reading an, an article written for Polygon, and it sounded like, unfortunately, at the time, you were a little, maybe a little disappointed with how things had worked out at Wide Load, and that you got to go out and go creatively balls to the wall with these two games. That, that's really cool. Yeah, it was it was very tough under Disney. We felt that as a studio, Wide Load was ready to make really good games, but interfacing with sort of that corporate entity of Disney. Uh, meant that a lot of things that we were excited about just couldn't couldn't be made or had to be modified in really unpleasant ways or would just get canned for reasons outside of our control. And Wideload started trying to manage upwards and try to find an identity to fit into the Disney ecosystem instead of really staying true to its own strengths. So that was that was just like a tough period, but ultimately the right thing to form Trinket because we were able to save up and figure out uh, what sort of games and tech things that we'd like to work on and so then when we formed trinket we were we were very much ready to go well then let's move on to that uh, more positive period then so you'd released orion's forge and released color sheep uh, at what point did you switch over to working on battleship brigade so we did uh color sheep was so small and it was doing well that we initially had not added multiple leaderboards or really a hard mode. So we just, or even a super easy mode. We have the, the graphics are very friendly and cute, even though you are shooting a giant laser at some wolves and blowing their skin off. It was still considered a like family friendly game. And uh, so we, we added like a super uh, 
basic like practice mode and then we added a junior mode that was super friendly so really young kids could play and then we added an insane mode um so we, we spent a couple more weeks on that but during that period we just started brainstorming what we thought would be more like a year a year and a half project we thought that would be a better jump and it, it really just came down to us being really bad at brainstorming we spent about two months uh sort of interleaved with up, updating color sheet but really two months of gathering different places around Chicago and trying to figure out a good idea for a year, year and a half long project. And it came down to a basically failure brainstorming session in the morning. We were all working out of uh, Eric in my apartment at the time. And we, we came back into the apartment. We sat down, started making lunch. We turned on the TV to the Food Network. And then immediately we are like... <laughs> Food, food games, cooking games really don't capture the sort of improvisation or the action or all this excitement and these characters that you see on the Food Network. Let's make a cooking game. That seemed like, at the time, a really great idea. <laughs> and then we, we basically spent a year and a half following that, prototyping how to make an action-oriented, improvisational fantasy cooking game. Now, when you guys were uh, working on this at, at a certain point you moved over to crowdfunding through kickstarter and I, I would estimate that was pretty early on in like the kickstarter phase of uh like game development then we announced battleship yet in january of 2013 uh it looks like the the last funding ended on 924 uh 14. but i see here that uh just as part of that there were a variety of different stretch goals for different locales for different characters for additional uh voiceover uh, so how did this, uh, first off, just the, the additional funds and then the expectations of crowdfunding impact the scope of Battleship Brigade? Uh, I, I imagine that there are some challenges that come not just with game development, but with public relations, as we've seen, uh, unfortunately, in some other cases with, say, games like Mighty Number no. 9. And granted, this game was not crowdfunded, but No Man's Sky, where the expectations kind of got out of whack with the final product and it led to an unfortunate negative backlash yeah that's something i live in fear of um i think i think there are like a a few big takeaways that we just we just had no idea of because at the time we needed money and that was that was a big thing and we also thought okay the three of us if we raise enough money we can make a pretty good game and get it out and we were overfunded by three times but it's sort of irrelevant because that was definitely the era of uh post a small goal and with the expectation that you'll go over and just hope that that's enough money we definitely had a much smaller scope for the game in mind we were thinking maybe each chef will have three attacks and it'll be something more like tower fall where you're like you got a bow and like maybe a melee attack and then we'll add like one more spell for each character you know um and then we thought, oh, it'll be like a tournament structure, more like a fighting game than a story campaign. So no matter what character you choose, you'll do the same like three things. You'll like shop in town, you'll challenge a chef, and you'll make your way through this tournament bracket. And that seemed really nice and simple. <laughs> and that's why we, we promised three playable characters, three playable chefs right on, on the Kickstarter. And then we hit Ziggy for a fourth one as a stretch goal we really should have thought that out more but i think it all worked out and luckily um i make sure to post an update a backer update every month 
and so far no one has been angry at us <laughs> uh, we've had the the huge luck that all of our backers have been really nice and i'm not really sure why that is i think part of it is because we don't have a huge number there are three thousand, but it's not twenty thousand where people were backing it without really understanding what the game was I think people were also really attracted to the art, and obviously we still have the art that hasn't gone away. Um, and I think we ended up expanding the game in ways that were better for the game instead of expanding it in sort of a match the goals sort of way. And and I think the basic way is saying, is that we ended up with more quality over quantity, especially in terms of the chefs. We ended up with um, like a huge number of monsters and three different biomes. And we expanded the story and the voiceover and the role of all the characters dramatically. And so Mina and Thrash have a really, they each have sort of intertwined, but they each have their own story. And that sort of grew naturally out of the project because as we realized that the hunting really needed to be a better system, we added more combos, more moves, made it closer to Super Smash Brothers. It's still like 10 to 12 move, different moves that combo well instead of Super Smash Brothers, where it was like 50. But um, we took some of those lessons to make sure that hunting was fun by itself and then making sure that cooking was fun by itself. And at that point, you've invested so much in making a character especially with our art style where it's all hand-drawn and hand-animated, that if we just said, oh, all the chefs are, are boring and <laughs> you, uh, they're hot-swappable and you can play as any chef and it doesn't mean anything, it just felt so wrong to, put in, to invest so much art-wise and then into these characters and that we just wanted to tell stories with them. And so that, that just sort of was the direction we couldn't help but go. So now there's nearly entirely voiced stories that you're playing through with all these characters we ended up with uh about 50 characters with voices uh done by 13 actors and so they're like very significant stories and that was so much better for the game than having a few sort of token playable characters instead of a couple really well fleshed out characters now with the actors did you uh, find those locally in the Chicago area, or was it more of a everywhere search where people were like sending in voice samples uh, digitally? This is a huge mix. Um, starting the instant the Kickstarter was doing well, we started getting emails, and a whole bunch of the voice actors are also backers. And so, but we also just collected. I think basically, do the Kickstarter collected uh, the emails of many more voice actors over time, and then we uh, our our audio guy. George Huffnagel also knew a whole bunch of uh, voice actors. So we sort of mixed some of those together. And then Eric went through and picked whose voices might work out. And so it ended up being a mix. And that, that was, uh, was sort of a scary moment as a result was when we uh, realized that about half of our actors were union in SAG-AFTRA and half weren't. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and and that, that's a big... That's a big no-no uh, under the normal SAG after a video game contract, the interactive contract. But luckily, they have a lower-budget sort of indie contract. 
Um, and we were able to get a waiver and all that. And so it was resolved, but there was a moment where we were like, uh-oh, do we choose the union actors or the non-union? But it turned out that sag was really understanding. And they, not too long ago, added a new contract to handle this sort of situation where we're obviously not a AAA game. And they, they seemed they seem really um, understanding that we wanted to get some of our Kickstarter backers into the game um, and hire them on as well as the more fancy union folks. That, that all sounds like a huge adventure, though, where you are making a video game and then you're also kind of making a cartoon at the same time. Yeah, and that's sort of... Uh... That, that fits with what Battleship Brigade is, you know? <laughs> it's it's sort of this, like, graphic novel where it you happen to also have a, like, complex brawler in it and then, like, Tetris bejeweled. <laughs> it just ended up sort of being this giant thing that felt really right. Like, it was so hard for us to imagine removing any, any of these ingredients, essentially. Nice, um, nice. And so we just had to do it. We just had to do it. <laughs> I just a, a quick question for you personally. I mean, we we have this rich cast of characters. Is there anyone that you identify with personally? Oh, that's a good question. I it's really hard not to identify with Mina, uh, even though Eric wrote a lot of himself into Mina, especially initially, and then she sort of evolved with the game. Ziggy is probably the character I would maybe not identify with, but most want to be. He's sort of a uh, He's got a very complicated backstory, okay. let's say, uh, but he serves sort of, uh, he's got some time traveling stuff in his story, so he's really from sort of the modern era, and his cuisine is sort of American fast food, but um, he's got this sort of aloof personality uh, that I really enjoy. And so I don't know if I really identify, but I, I wouldn't mind being the sort of Ziggy character. He ends up being critical to the story, but also happy and cheerful. And he makes quite a few hilarious jokes, thanks to our writers from the modern day that the rest of the characters don't get, like mentioning, mentioning food trucks. And uh, uh, he also mentions, uh, I don't know how to make this sound funny, but uh, the sort of internet error or http error when you get a 404 so he, he does all sorts of things that don't fit into this world and that makes it so charming and enjoyable that's awesome I, I was into the fact that he listed cheeseburgers as his favorite food so the fact that he's even like his fast food is his style of cuisine I, i'm excited to find out more about that excellent at a certain point i, I was kind of surprised initially to see that adult swim games is the publisher here because I've, i'm familiar with some of Adult Swim Games' other stuff, but that was normally like smaller, more bite-sized entries, like the the rocket-powered unicorn, surgeon simulator stuff like that. Uh, so, how did you uh, catch on with them? How did they enter the equation? So, there's a very long story. Back when we were doing mobile games, um, some of our friends who had also left Wide Load to form Ragtag Studios, they're working on Raise the Dead. They had all sorts of press attention. They were in the like Sony E3 Indies uh, presentation long, long ago. Um, and so they, they started down the publisher path. And they mentioned that they'd been talking to Steve over at Adult Swim Games. And I said, after we'd released Color Sheep Mo and uh, Orion's Forge, our mobile games, I reached out to Steve at Adult Swim and said, hey, we've Eric and I worked on this little platformer thing as sort of a prototype idea for a while. Are you interested at all? And, and he, he took it to team and he was like, well, it's like another indie platformer. 
Um, it doesn't matter how many interesting hooks you have, they're not really <laughs> the thing that we're looking for. So I had reached out in that capacity a long time ago, and then as we got Battleship Brigade to the point where the Kickstarter was successful, and then we started going to conventions, uh, especially with the Indie Mega Booth, and I think we started uh, first in the PAX 10 at PAX West, and I do not remember the year. That was probably three PAX Wests ago, something like that. In any case, the Adult Swim booth was right across from that. And so we got it. We slowly started talking with them at each PAX or GDC that we would be at there. They're always at those things. And eventually, our initial feeling of we're, we don't need a publisher slowly turned into, wow, marketing is sort of hard. It would be really great if our three-person team had some publisher might behind marketing. So sort of in parallel with everything, I would reach out to publishers and try to get their general feelings about the game and what a marketing deal with them would look like. And then it was about mm, two years ago, year and a half, we were at PAX East and all the indie advice from the luminaries was that you shouldn't do a publisher marketing only contract. You should get some money so they have skin in the game, like get an advance on essentially royalties and then things got a little real <laughs> with each of the publishers I was talking with and we were basically talking to a larger publisher who had a history in these sorts of games um, but it was more of a corporate thing and when the subject of money came up it turned into like oh we gotta have green light meetings and that was not what we wanted to hear uh, after <laughs> escaping Disney and um, we were also talking to a really small publisher and I really liked the people but they didn't have the money to do some sort of an advance. Um, and Adult Swim was ready to go on all fronts, basically. As you mentioned, they were, at the time, best known for mobile things. Fairly small mobile games. But those had been very successful, and they had been growing significantly since then. And so when we'd see them at PAX, each time we'd see their booth getting larger. And, and not only larger, but more well thought out and that was really impressive to us because it is a huge pain to be lugging around monitors and computers and swag all the like a couple hundred pounds of stuff to set up a little booth and we were like oh if we sign with a publisher then they do all of this this is a really good idea <laughs> um and then when you apply that thinking to a lot of the other things that a publisher offers like qa and making trailers and all sorts of marketing platform relationships it starts looking like oh maybe i could do those things myself but it would be a lot better if someone else did and some of our friends in the indie community here in chicago have demonstrated that they can. you can do it yourself. Uh, the Young Horses are a really good example. They made Octodad. And we go to Indie Lunch with them all the time. And I'm like, okay, if, if their team can do it, then I can do it. But then at some point you realize that in some ways the environment, especially Steam, has changed now that Greenlight was added and now just Steam Direct and the number of games on Steam has exploded since Octodad came out. And then you also got to realize that they had a team of uh, sort of seven plus people. And so you can delegate a large amount of these marketing tasks to one person. And I realized that I was not going to be able to do that just by myself. <laughs> so we also looked for people like just a marketing team because there are sort of like indie marketing people and teams that you can use. 
But at some point, we realized that we'd bitten off way more than we could chew and needed more money, not just because it was a good idea to encourage the publisher to have skin in the game, but also because we were going to run out um, and either have to really cut back on what Battleship Brigade could be or um, find someone who was willing to turn it into what it really should be. Now, you you mentioned Octodad and uh, earlier Ragtag Games, and they were, at that point, it seems like PlayStation was where all the indie games were going to roost. Like, prior to that, the Xbox had been with the Summer of Arcade stuff, and now it seems like Nintendo is taking that uh, stance. They're, they've got their Nindies, and Battle Chef Brigade happens to be one of the Nindies and, as part of that lineup. And I was just wondering, it seems to be generating a lot of good buzz for you guys, uh, have you had the opportunity to take a look at that and just your game on the most sought after Nintendo console that's on the market right now? Yes, we live in fear though. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Because no. I think I think everything I've been saying to the to the team and other indies recently that everything is going right and that's good, but it's still very scary because for so long it's sort of like this indie wisdom that you should never release a small to medium large game during the holidays because that's when all the big games come out. And so when the opportunity presented itself, basically due to Nintendo saying that, you no, know, a holiday release would be a good idea, potentially. A lot of the sort of uh, Nintendo press was sort of contingent on like, hey, are you going to be releasing anytime soon? And we said, maybe we are. <laughs> and then... Um, upon thinking about it a lot and a lot of discussions with Adult Swim, we decided that, as you said, it is potentially the right time to release a medium game on Switch during the holidays because a lot of the really big games aren't being released on Switch yet. It could work out really well. It seems like the the holidays will amplify whatever's going to happen with a game. It's just scary to put even more of our cards on the table, <laughs> but... It seems like it, it. everything is lining up well. Uh, it seems like this Switch, as you're saying, is the sought-after console, and they've been doing a really good job supporting indies. And so that, that was, like, the big step we needed to just sort of go all in on the Switch. Now, you uh, have, you know, alluded to this as well, that Steam, there are, there are more games coming out every month on Steam than any month before. There are countless mobile games. There are, if you go on like the PlayStation store right now, there are like multiple games coming out every day just on the PlayStation alone. I was a, I wanted to make an indie game. I wanted to develop it. Uh, would you have any pointers for me on how to help make your game stand out and maybe get a little bit of the uh, buzz that you guys have got going on for your own project? So I think almost entirely the the key is to focus on marketing and make sure that you're not ignoring marketing in favor of just implementing a competent game. Uh, basically, that means figuring out your elevator pitch for the game and making sure that that is super interesting. And maybe it can reference other types of entertainment. Like in our case, I think it works well that we've been able to reference the Food Network and Iron Chef and Master Chef and Chopped. And that's sort of cooking 
cooking in general is sort of underserved, I think. Um, and so that's an, that's an opportunity. Yeah, I'm, we try really hard to not make the puns and let other people make them, but I can't help it sometimes. Because I think underserved is better than underrepresented, but it's probably both. The cooking games, just there aren't a lot of them, and so it's really an open space. There are just a few, and each of them cover very different aspects of cooking. Like Cook, Serve, Delicious is a very specific type of game, and then something like Overcooked is entirely different. Um, and so for us, it was finding both that area where that we could do well in cooking games and then expand on that, um, in, in this sort of like, we're covering puzzle and brawling really well. Um, and then being able to tell people like, it's a fantasy cooking competition where you hunt for your ingredients and then you cook dishes for the judges is very clear and different from other games. And then as long as we can follow up, like, as you could tell, that doesn't describe the actual gameplay. Like, that could be, you could hunt in third person, you could cook in, um, like, a totally not puzzle way, like a chemistry way, that was one of our prototypes, or like a table management way. But to our pitch, that wasn't ever important. And as long as you can follow up and make sure that what you do produce is satisfying to that original pitch, I think making sure that that pitch is really exciting and gets people interested immediately is the really critical part that so many games, especially indie games, just sort of miss. And I think that's not necessarily bad. A lot of indie developers in their first games are figuring out how to make a game and not how to sell a game. So you're sort of like achieving competency, and then after that you have to achieve competency in a good direction that you can actually sell and market and all that but yeah i think the key is really figuring out that elevator pitch and then delivering on it one way or another it's kind of like that hollywood actor who is a unknown one day and then wins an oscar but in reality has been working for like 15 20 years on their craft you've had this time where you've been working for a major developer a major corporation and now you're on your own and to someone who's not familiar with Wide Load or previous Trinket projects, it's just like, wow, this game came out of nowhere. It's awesome. But there was a lot of diligence that led up to that. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that reminds me of is how, um, so the thing I say to our team and to other teams when they're starting their projects is to focus on your strengths and make a game that you can make well. And some indie developers haven't developed those strengths yet and they don't know what they are. So a lot of their game ideas will be based on some other game that they like to play. And then they'll be like, oh, I just want to modify this. But for us, having strong character design and strong character art was such a foundational element that we were able to build on that. Whereas a lot of indies or just developers, new developers in general, haven't figured that out. And we weren't able to really let that shine at wide load, but then once you get out on your own, you can actually play to your strengths and really accentuate what you're good at. For the people who are listening who may not be familiar, uh, I'm, of course, in Chicago. I I mentioned that in most episodes, but Tom, you are also in Chicago, and you're, in fact, a part of the the Indie City Co-op, which is a collection of independent game developers in the city. Could you uh, describe that program or that project for people who may not be familiar? Absolutely. I'm in the co-op conference room right now. <laughs> oh. um, so basically, Af- Ryan Wiemeyer, who's of the men who wear many hats, also worked at Wide Load. And 
about a third of Wideload quit after releasing that Hulk game because it had been such a tumultuous and painful process. Ryan especially, but basically all of us who had started little companies felt like it was fairly lonely working out of our apartments. <laughs> and so we wanted to make something bigger where we could all still be have some of the studio amenities, um, <laughs> like a refrigerator, and, and a lot of the camaraderie and shared knowledge and community that having a co-working space affords. And so um, the co-op started with, I think, 12 desks or so and in a very cramped space. And then we moved, basically doubled in space to where we are now. And so we have a, a co-working side. So there's full-time desks. Um, and there's a whole bunch of small studios, um, basically one to four people. And then there's a, like event side where we can have we have a big projector, and so that's where we'll watch like E3 or Nintendo Directs and that sort of thing. And we have a little conference room, and we also have sort of a living room s- simulator that's surrounded by storage for Bitbash stuff, which is a really cool Chicago oh, yeah. indie games festival. So it tur- we basically made a studio out of uh, <laughs> tiny studios. <laughs> it's really fun because we get to meet new developers in Chicago. All the time we're meeting these solo sort of hobbyist developers who happen to be making really, really cool games. And they haven't even realized that there's a community of people who are really happy to help them. So um, that aspect has been really fun. And just having a community, like we all go to indie lunch on Fridays, having that community and being able to talk about, Oh, this certification thing was the worst. Make sure you do this thing before, like two months before you do this thing, just avoiding those pitfalls is super valuable. And then also being able to commiserate when you're trying to design something and it's just so brutal and painful and everyone else is like, yeah, I remember that period of the project. You just got to work your way through it. Or here's my advice. So we can have design um, sort of meetings where everyone can come in, help someone out with their crazy design issues. So that that's been super good, and I don't think the Chicago scene would be as strong or or as achieved as much um, without having that really strong sense of community. That's awesome. Uh, so many bits is a big fan of Bitbash and the people who organize Bitbash. I'm really glad that there is such a cool community coming from Improv, which also has this welcoming community. For people from beginners to experts, outsiders to insiders and all that. I'm assuming you haven't had much chance to play many new video games right now because you're making your own video game. Uh, once you have a moment to catch your breath, are there any you're looking forward to catching either uh, that are already out or are about to come? There are a lot. Yeah, as you said, I have been playing very few games and it's been really sad. <laughs> yeah, my Steam library has a ton of games in it. And I've been not playing any console games recently because they're usually larger. Like, it took me a year and a half or two years to finally beat Dragon Age Inquisition. That that required a little binging at Thanksgiving last year. I can't think of which games I'm most excited about to play, though. I kind of... I, I was a big Mass Effect fan. Um, and so I'm, I'm tempted by Mass Effect Andromeda, despite people complaining about all sorts of things. So I might do that. There are quite a few games that I know I want to play, but I can't remember them at all now. Um, Prey, I guess, would be another good one. Um, I really enjoyed the original, and even though the second Prey has is basically System Shock 2, that's really appealing to me. They're all, I've, I've sort of not been playing games during the whole um, expansion of the, I don't know what, the, the sort of narrative first-person 
um, explosion. So there are a lot of those games like uh, Dear Esther and uh, that I'm forgetting the names of, but I think those would uh, are really appealing to me now that I'm getting older and <laughs> um, want sort of bite-sized but really well-thought-out experiences um, that are closer to an alternative to TV than just being like pure games. Um, I also really want to get back into Halo and I've, I've avoided Overwatch. I played Hearthstone for a little bit, but then sort of got burnt out on that. But I think I would really enjoy Overwatch. I was a big fan of Halo, obviously, and Shadowrun. And I feel like Shadowrun was a precursor to a lot of um, interesting FPS changes over time. Sort of like hero-driven FPSs. So I'm tempted to like get serious with Overwatch, but I don't know if that would be a good idea. <laughs> and I guess also with, uh, with Overwatch... I- I was thinking this earlier that there is kind of a commonality there between that and Battle Chef in just terms of the the colorful characters, the completely unique designs, so many uh, different people that make up this world, and they're kind of building it out with all the different cinematic stories they're telling too. Yeah, I think that I'm really impressed by what they've been able to do, and we're obviously nowhere near that, but um, we we do try to be like really thoughtful and careful as we design characters and where they fit in the universe and we have a huge amount of lore that we started four years ago some of which is made into the game and some of which hasn't been particularly useful but um it's really fun to have that level of detail to your characters and sometimes it it informs them subconsciously or changes their accent or how they're drawn in certain situations and um I think that's something that's generally missing from games. Like you end up with fairly one-dimensional characters. And so we've really tried to have complex characters. Uh, and that's that's really fun and super admirable in Overwatch. And I hope we can replicate that more and more going forward. And uh, one final question for you, Tom. Once Battle Chef Brigade is again in the bag, are there any other genres you would like to explore in the future? Any other uh, like space, Western, under the sea? So... We all really like science fiction, but figuring out how to make a science fiction game that is has a proper hook, as I was saying earlier, having that elevator pitch that isn't just like, oh, it's Firefly and you trade things, um, figuring that out will be really fun. I've been thinking recently that if a Food Network show styled cooking game was a good idea, then maybe there's a way to make an HGTV show that's sort of like combining parts of the Sims, like designing a house, but then you flip it. So maybe a science fiction, home decorating, and construction game would be cool. But that's just making up ideas. We, I, I mainly just look forward to us figuring out how to make another weird game that doesn't fit into genres very well or mashes them up and slowly turning it into something fun. Well, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to that game almost as much as the one that's almost done right now. So uh, with that, uh, let's bring this episode of So Many Bits to a close. Tom, if you want to be found electronically or in person, uh, where can people find you? So the best place to reach me at all times is at Trinket Tom on Twitter. You can check out Battleship Brigade at BattleshipBrigade.com or on Twitter at Battleship Game. Yeah, I think 
That's the best way. People should not show up at the co-op without <laughs> DMing me first. Because <laughs> we had some, we actually had some problems with that before with voice Ooh. actors. <laughs> so that's always weird when someone shows up at a co-working space unannounced. So yeah, people should reach out to me on Twitter. That's where I am all day. Well, as for us, uh, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or listen to us on SoundCloud, on Spreaker, on YouTube. We stream games, twitch.tv slash so many bits. Uh, usually Magic Gathering online, but uh, try and work in some other games here and there. And last but not least, please check out the rest of the Second Wind Collective. For other quality podcasts, support independent art, the spirit of Dallas and Palestine.